joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. And you're listening to Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, I'm excited. There's been a lot of stuff going on. That's right. But most importantly, we have a huge sale going on over at Calibrated Power Duramax Tuner. Yes, we do. So 15% off switch on the fly tuning, whether it's on EFI Live or on EasyLink. Um, and I think it comes at a really good time. We know we have our 50-state legal tuning available for 01 to 16 Duramax Ooh. and the 2016 to 2020 2.8. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff. Not to mention, uh, we're, we're in a new uh, studio space. That's right. That's right. So uh, we've had probably four or five different recording spaces throughout the years of the podcast. Remember the original in, a, in an open office with a round table that we'd all have to talk into like a microphone. Yes. That's yes. wild. Look where uh, we're at now. And then and then Top an floor. office with blankets and then yep. a Ooh, remember the the garage in Bay 3 in Marengo? Yeah, our temporary space because we were shifting buildings and whatnot. Um, and then we'd have to yell at the machine shop guys because they were too loud when we were trying to do stuff. <laughs> there was a bordering wall uh, next to an air, an old like 1960s fucking air compressor. Yeah, yeah, the good old days. It was, it was. That's we've, a throwback. We've come a long way. So, so now, yeah, we did a little bit of DIY elbow grease. Uh, put up some uh, some fancy stuff here to try to help out with the sound a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's good. I think one of the other things we're doing is we're working towards evolving the show. So we're always trying to to make Diesel Performance yeah. Podcast better uh, and help it be more effective uh, place for people to learn about diesel performance right. uh, in the future. So we are talking about some other elements that we'll be adding here in the near future. We'll be excited to announce that stuff as time goes on. But for today, speaking of elements and growth, yeah, right, absolutely. Uh, let's let's dive in, Chris. We're going to be talking about emissions compliance with Peter Trike from SEMA Garage. Right. So emissions compliance and calibrated power, what you and I deal with on a day to day basis, is nothing new. Um, I think uh, our show and everything that we talk about is definitely looking at the bigger picture, right? Things that we've talked about where the industry is evolving towards, um, and there's a lot to talk about, you know, CARB, EO, EPA, and SEMA Garage all get thrown into this. <laughs> what is SEMA, right? What is that? And and how does SEMA, you know, come into play and, and work with EPA and, and, and CARB and things like that? Uh, so we have uh, Peter Trachey from SEMA Garage, who's uh, going to kind of explain some of this for us. That's right. Uh, so we'll be talking with Peter. Of course, guys, you know we're going to be hearing from our remote support expert, Sean Lynn. And uh, of as always, we'll check in with our super tech, Jeremy Garnett. Uh, but for now, like you said, Chris, let's, let's dive in and talk with Peter. Cool. Peter Trady, Director of Emissions Compliance over at SEMA Garage. How the hell are you? I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? You know, it's a beautiful start to a Thursday. The weather's nice outside, so it's, you know, we're, we're both in good chipper moods. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Add my coffee. That's great to hear. I'm looking <laughs> forward to heading out your direction uh, in December for the PRI show. Oh, there you awesome. go. That's yeah. a terrible time of the year to come into the Midwest, Why but they cool. Have PRI. <laughs> in a city you can't drive cars right. in, really. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's not bad, but it's not great. Yeah. Um, Indiana's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> the dead of winter. <laughs> the dead of winter. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, at least it's a fun show to go to, right? That's right. It's always uh, it's a good diversion. And, and the thing I like about Indianapolis in the winter is you have all those uh, habit trail uh, catwalks so you can go from one building to another without going out into the elements. That Very true. Midwest Very true. Yeah, yeah, that is. 100%. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every Chicago building has, you know, for all the, the hospitals or whatever, same yeah. thing. So Yeah. Got to get between them, man. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Peter, we had you on today to dive into talking more about emissions compliance and talking a little bit about SEMA, but we'd like to get started with knowing a little bit about your background in automotive performance. All right. Well, um, yeah, I've been with SEMA uh, since 2014 um, uh, as Director of Emissions Compliance. Um, prior to that, I was uh, working for Gale Banks Engineering. Uh, I was there for about 20 years. Um, did a lot of the uh, emissions compliance work there. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth on really knowing and understanding what was involved with emissions compliance. Um, going a little further back, um, I actually started my automotive career um, building racing engines um, out of four-cylinder Ford Pino motors. <laughs> oh. And uh, so kind of kind of got a, got a little bit of, uh, I mean, that's really where I learned about internal combustion, the internal combustion process and kind of how a, 
how an engine is built. I didn't know anything about diesel until I started at Banks, and uh, you know learned everything um, pretty much that you could know about diesel from Gale, and uh, and of course that included uh, doing some of the emissions compliance stuff. That's crazy. So, you know, in, in the industry, right? You know, there's all these assumptions, right? And here you have someone, um, you know, director of emissions compliance over at SEMA, and he has 20 years plus experience in diesel from a very reputable source. Yeah. Now, you know, now heading, you know, some of the compliance stuff. So, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that, you know, the guys that are fronting some of that stuff with the testing have diesel knowledge prior. Also some frontline experience. Exactly. You know, this, the, it's, I think that's something that is, is really appealing to our listeners is being able to hear from somebody, hear from somebody who has that kind of background on both sides of it. Yeah. A little bit of gas, yeah. a lot of diesel, and a lot of testing because and, I know I and, got a and have grown through the years of the industry as the industry's evolved. Sure, sure. So, and I was going to say I, I I know I got a chance to see Banks's facility ooh, back in seventeen, yeah. maybe roughly right around there. Uh, we got a chance to go out there with the podcast and see some of that testing equipment. How did that equipment progress throughout the years? What did that look like throughout the years of just the general emissions testing? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. You know, Gail um, loves loves data. And uh, that's one of the things that um, that I got exposed to while I was working there is is just the the, um, the the methods to get data is to have equipment that can measure things, you know. And so Gail is um, is a, a a lover of equipment of data, you know, accessing data, and so that involves dynamometers, it involves um, sensing equipment, ways to measure temperatures and pressures, and you know, just just anything that is going on in that engine, and, and in the case of emissions coming out of the of the um, out of the engine, out of the tailpipe. Um, you know, Gail's got a whole emission setup there, and an emissions bench that basically mimics the the type of equipment that we use for doing our certification work. So, um, yeah, I mean, learning how to both gather data and analyze data uh, was was something that I that I spent a lot of time doing. That's interesting. And then coming over to SEMA, what was that change like? Was that, uh, I mean, going from, you know, the aftermarket world and working on, I would imagine, a lot of R&D projects to moving into the compliance testing, was that a big shift for you? Um, I wouldn't say it was a huge shift. Uh, what, what The biggest shift was that I would, you know, part of what my job was at banks with emissions compliance there um, yeah, I was probably it was probably about thirty percent of my job there. Um, I just took that, and now I was doing it for a broader cross section of the industry. Um, and uh, you know, to be fair, emissions compliance is confusing. You know, it, it is it is not um, an easy thing to understand. So, you know, for for companies that are developing product and are trying to figure out, you know, how do I go through these processes? It really is um, worthwhile for uh, for SEMA to, to be able to offer services that that unravel those mysteries for them. So you kind of tee us into our our, our my my you know interest. What is SEMA? All right, <laughs> like we hear about it. I know the trade show in Las Vegas, but what what is yeah. SEMA for our listeners? Yeah, you know, it is it is something that, that I think a lot of people don't actually know. Is, is what in the world is, does SEMA do the, the, you know, the, the remaining 360 days of the year? Um, you know, we are a trade association. We are a nonprofit organization that, um, that represents an industry. And the industry that we represent is the specialty equipment market. So it's, you know, I always tell people it's all the stuff for your vehicle that you don't need. Um, when we talk about aftermarket, there's really there's really two sides to it. There's the um, there's the aftermarket parts that are replacement parts, right? You need a new alternator for your car. So you go down to Pet Boys and you get another another alternator. That's a replacement part. But specialty equipment is all the things that make your vehicle special. So um, you know it's it's the styling things, the wheels and tires, the suspension kits, the uh, performance products. That's the specialty equipment side of the aftermarket. And so SEMA um, was, was formed years ago when, when manufacturers of performance products started to realize that um, they needed 
some organization to kind of defend them in situations or stand up for them in situations where, you know, there were government rules that were coming into play that they could affect their businesses and, uh, and things like that. So that's really how SEMA formed was to, to provide um, a, a resource for uh, businesses that, um, uh, that, that were making these types of products. So um, in terms of what we do, you know, this, the trade show is what we're known for, right? That's what makes all the videos and, and uh, gets the media attention. But um, we also offer other services, and the part that I'm involved with, the emissions compliance, is kind of a subset of, of the SEMA Garage. Uh, SEMA Garage is, is a, what I call a, uh, a collection of, of product development tools. And so we offer various things that help our members with designing their products. And, of course, emissions compliance is part of that, making sure that your products can get to market legally that's really what emissions compliance is all about. That's awesome. That's a great, great description. Great of it way to bring I think it there's, down. There's a lot that goes on behind it. Like you said, the other 360 days that I know we're not tracking. <laughs> yeah. we're, I mean, when I hear SEMA, I think of giant lifted trucks with a lot of bling. Well, uh, that's like yeah, our end of I the mean, industry is mostly what I saw represented there. I, I, you're not wrong. I yeah. also like. Paul, for what you and I do in talking to end users, there's also been, you know, uh, SEMA and you you have these terms of CARB and you have these terms of emissions, uh, you know, related situations. So one of the things that is is confusing to me and I would like to kind of break things down or have have, you know, Peter do so for us. What is the EPA versus CARB, and then what's SEMA's, you know, angle in on that stuff? How do, how do those three uh, different groups come together, <laughs> right? What does that look like? Yeah. The alphabet soup. Yeah. Um, so, so CARB and EPA are two government agencies that, um, that oversee air quality. So their job is to, um, to ensure that um, – Businesses, individuals aren't breaking rules, breaking the law in ways that will impact um, ambient air quality. Now, um, both of the, uh, uh, EPA actually has oversight over things other than the air too. You know, they kind of pay attention to what goes into the water and what goes into the ground and you know the environment in general. They're the environmental protection agency. California Air Resources Board or CARB, they're specifically paying attention to air. And the reason that CARB even exists is because back in the 60s, when air quality was so horrible in California, um, the government, the, the state government at that time decided we got to do something about this. So they formed this, this agency to start paying attention to why do we have the smog? What's going on with this? How do we correct this? And that's how uh, CARB was formed. Um, EPA actually came along a little later than CARB, and because of that, CARB has been allowed to continue to exist. EPA has oversight over the entire country, all 50 states, but California has a special um, allowance to exist and and to oversee the air quality in California because they predated the EPA. Wow. So um, for our industry... We see part of the, the reason that SEMA was formed was because we realized early on, hey, these agencies are, are starting to take shape. They're going to impact what, what happens to, to our industry and how our products are, are able to be sold. So SEMA um, has for you know, four decades now has been paying attention to uh, what these agencies um, allow and don't allow and how we can... Um, you know, both fit within the rules, but also make sure that the rules are not overly invasive and don't shut us out of, of existence altogether. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know I know a lot of this stuff gets dicey because wh- when we read headlines, we see EPA activity and then we see CARB activity. Right. And a lot of times there is overlap where, right. where they're definitely like one a company will get fined by the EPA and then all of a sudden a little while later you hear that they got fined by CARB as well or right. vice versa, right? Like, So it's like they kind of get double yeah. whacked. I, I always wondered about this allowance because my rough understanding is that CARB rules for air quality hold a higher standard 
than this than federal rules. So like it, it is it is harder to get it is harder to pass a carb standard than it is to pass a federal standard. Is there any truth to that? So historically, um, what what we've seen so so automotive emissions standards and and requirements have been in existence since the late sixties, and California established them first. So we actually see that vehicles were first regulated in California starting around 1965. Um, in the rest of the states, EPA, the, 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 the territory that EPA oversees, regulations didn't kick in until about 1967 or 68. So we have a little bit of a lag there. Um, and, and over the course of time, the standards or the requirements that California has established have been a little bit tighter than what EPA has established. So what we his, what we saw what we have seen in the past is that automakers used to build two variations of a vehicle. They build one that met California emissions, yep. and then a different one that, that met federal emissions because they could um, get a little more power in some cases out of the federal emissions cars, or they wouldn't have to put as much emissions equipment on, so it wouldn't you know cost them as much to build the car, that kind of thing. So. The standards have had, have, have had a slight variation over the course of time. However, within the last few model years, the standards have become pretty much comparable between California and EPA, such that it no longer makes sense for the OEMs to build different variations of the vehicles. They just build one variation, and uh, it, meets, it meets the requirements for both California and EPA. So they're just kind of defaulting to the higher standard. To the higher standard, point. calling it a day. That yeah, well, and, and the standards are pretty much the same at this point. So, gotcha. so it's there's really no reason for them to build you know different variations on those vehicles. Okay. Yeah, I know Chris and I are both sitting here screaming LB7 in the back of our right, head. Right, I'm thinking, so used to yeah, LB7 yeah. style LB7s, turbos. and yeah. then you. Well, that's a great example. Yeah. That's, a, that's a perfect example. So, you know, at that time there was a there was a federal version and a state version, you know, a California version, because the standards were different. So. Um, so the emissions equipment on those vehicles is slightly different for, for that very reason. Um, the other thing that's, that's worth noting in, in terms of a difference between EPA and CARB is that uh, both agencies have the ability to enforce. So they both, have, they both have the ability to levy fines and those kinds of things. Um, but only CARB has a program by which you can demonstrate that you are emissions compliant. In fact, you, in order to legally sell products in California that, that are emissions related, you have to go through a demonstration process, and that's, that results in a document known as a CARB executive order, or EO. You've probably heard of you know, a CARB EO number. Does that product have a CARB EO number? And so that is basically a document that says, hey, this product has, has been demonstrated to be emissions legal for use in California. EPA doesn't have a program like that. So what's required for EPA is essentially a self-certification. You have, even though there's no program, they still require that you are able to demonstrate emissions compliance. Now, historically, that has, what, what the, the best way to be able to demonstrate that has been to get a CARB-EO. So historically, SEMA has always encouraged our members to obtain CARB-EOs because once you do that, you, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're 50 state legal. That's so That's wild. the standard, you know, That's... once again. <laughs> I, I love that the EPA's plan is like, go ahead and do it. And if we decide you're wrong, we'll let you know with a fine. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I dig it. So, so SEMA works in here. Uh, Chris and I have some working knowledge of SEMA. You know, obviously over at Duramax Tuner, Calibrated Power, we now have 50 state legal uh, custom tuning for a huge array of Duramaxes. Um, so we, we worked with SEMA Garage to get that done. Yep. So, guys, you've uh, listeners, you've heard Tim Mahoney on the show. I think we even talked about the process at yep. the time when we've we talked had talked with Mike. Nick on it as well. Uh, yeah, past. we've talked with Nick yep. on the past. So so they were actually working with SEMA Garage and, and going through – uh, kind of what you were talking about there—that that pursuit of emissions compliance, right? Getting that EO—that that is the standard now. That's what all the all the distributors want. That's yep. what what all anybody who's a large player in the game—that's that's doing what volume we're all of going sales, for. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Can you walk us through that's a little exactly bit of, right. and, of what that process looks like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, and and 
that's exactly why uh, SEMA Garage exists, is to help our members to go through that process. And we have the right equipment, the right know-how to, to get that done. The process involves um, a, a round of certification tests. Now, I wanna, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about emissions testing here. Um, there's, there's really different categories or levels of emissions testing that people are somewhat familiar with. It kind of starts with like a smog check program, right? In, in different places throughout the country, um, different states might have, you know, some type of a smog check program. That's where you, you know, some technician is looking at the vehicle and he's trying to assess whether it's it's passing emissions or whether it's, you know, been modified in any particular way. In most cases, that's a very limited test. It involves maybe a sniffer um, that goes in the tailpipe. Um, in California, the, it, there's really three parts to the inspection. There's there's a visual inspection that looks for you know modifications that wouldn't be considered legal. There's also an OBD element where they plug into the the OBD system and verify that there's no codes and that the, the OBD system is functioning properly. And then there's an, uh, a snap idle opacity test where they just flip the throttle and make sure that they're you're not getting uh, too dark of a cloud of smoke coming out the tailpipe. That's really all that's involved at, in California and other states are similar to that. Um, or other locations where where there are um, smog checks. The next level up from that would be what I consider kind of an R&D level. So if you are are trying to develop a product and you want to know, hey, how is this impacting emissions? One of the things you can do is get a five-gas analyzer. And you can use that five-gas analyzer to evaluate the gases, the actual emissions that are coming out of the tailpipe. And uh, ideally, you'll do that in conjunction with um, a chassis dynamometer, something that can put some load on the vehicle, and, and you'll run the vehicle under conditions that um, that that will, you know, put the vehicle under load and and um, give you some way of of doing a, a comparative test. Then we get to the highest level, and that's that's what we call certification level testing. This is the same type of testing that the OEMs have to do to prove that their vehicles are meeting the standards that CARB and EPA set forth. Um, these tests are what we call, um, typically what we call drive trace tests. So there's there's a, a chassis dynamometer. It's very different than a horsepower dyno that we're all used to seeing. This is an emission, uh, this is a dynamometer that is very specific in terms of the, the type of load that it puts on the vehicle. It's designed to mimic road load conditions. So you know, when you're driving your truck out on the road, you have to you have to you know press down on the accelerator a certain amount to make it go a certain speed. And so we're trying to replicate that on on an emissions dyno. While we're doing that, we're gathering all of the exhaust gases out of the tailpipe, and we are running them through an analyzer. And what we're measuring is we're looking at uh, hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, oxides of nitrogen and particulate mass. And particulate mass is basically the uh, the soot that you would see coming out of a tailpipe. So all of those things are evaluated and then they're compared against the standard to ensure that that vehicle is below the set standard for, for the vehicle. So it's a very sophisticated level of test. Um, as you mentioned, um, Calibrated has gone through that process. They've basically been able to show that you know their tunes are capable uh, of of meeting the emissions requirements, so you've got you know high horsepower tunes that are that are emissions legal, and that's that's really what what we're all about is being able to make those demonstrations of compliance. Absolutely, and Chris, uh, like what, that plug-in too is nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I got to go out to Diesel Power Challenge, uh, their street driving test throughout the years had changed yep. to from actual street driving to, to being a, on a dyno. On a dyno. Yep. Uh, and my my understanding, the the story at the sewing circle will say, uh, was that the their test for that was actually developed from an emissions test, right? Uh, of actually saying like, hey, here's the emission standards. This is this is how they do the testing. Right. Okay, we need to kind of simulate something like well, it's, that. It's ironic too that Colorado is one of those states that adopted yeah. what California has going on too. Um, which is definitely interesting, and I, I like you know Peter when we're talking about the dyno, you know a dyno, I ultimately in my head think power dyno, right? And there's different programs within dynos altogether sure. in in how that 
functionality shows how how the truck responds, um, you know, with the with the testing and things like that. So when I guess Peter, my question is. I send a truck to you. I want to have it tested. Does the truck live just on one dyno in in one you know kind of test? What what's the length of that test? What is what does that look like as far as, hey, we have an idea of an R and D project we believe is going to be you know a legal product, and then you know is it just ship it on the dyno? This test is passed and it's done. Well, that's such a good question because I know we've watched eight minutes on the dyno look like torture on yeah, a truck. Yeah. How long is an emissions test? Yeah, good good question. So the the overall certification process takes about four days, and um, it starts with uh, some OBD work. So we want to first verify. So let's let's use an example of a of a tune, right? A flash tune. So that flash tune is going to you know plug. You're going to plug into probably the the diagnostic port uh, on the vehicle. You're going to you know uh, use the device to flash the vehicle, and then that tune is what we're going to be testing. So um, one of the things that we'll do is initially is we'll, we'll put it on a horsepower dyno to ver- verify that the tune is doing what it claims to do. So we'll do a, a, a horsepower test to make sure that the tune is actually active. Then we're going to take it out on the road and we're going to drive it. We're going to drive it for a minimum of 50 miles, but it's oftentimes a diesel that's going to take more than that. And we've, we've even seen it take upwards of a thousand miles. What we're doing during that on the road driving is we're, we're basically exercising the OBD system to make sure that, first of all, that, that no error codes exist. So you, basically you're not getting a check engine light on the dash. And secondly, that all of the internal monitors that are designed into the OBD system are able to do their function. And so that's, that's why it takes a few miles is, is that the ECU has to go through all its different routines and, Basically, the, the OBD system has to give a thumbs up for, for a number of different um, monitors that it's, that it's paying attention to. Once that's done, then we bring it into the emissions test cell. One thing about the emissions test cell is in order to, to make sure we always get consistent results, the emissions test cell is temperature and humidity controlled. So we always keep the temperature right around 75 degrees, uh, humidity right around 50%. And, and that's just to give us consistent conditions, no matter where we're doing an emissions test, but we're always going to have those same ambient conditions. Um, the, the, the vehicle goes on the dyno. We hook up the exhaust system to the analyzer. And um, then with the tests that we run, there's about four different variations of these road simulations. One of them is, involves starting the vehicle from from a cold condition or from a room temperature condition. So we actually allow the vehicle to sit overnight, and then when we start the test, we're starting the, the engine for the first time, so it's capturing all of, the, uh, all of the stuff that would come out of the tailpipe before the, the catalyst is warm, before the DPF is warm. So you're going to get a little bit of emissions uh, during that cold start that, where the, the emissions equipment isn't up to temperature yet. And then uh, that then we simulate uh, some city driving, we simulate some highway driving, and uh, each one of those tests is is identical every time. We always it's always the same exact conditions, and then we're we're gathering the exhaust gases during that test, and we're measuring um, and comparing against the standards. What we're actually evaluating is the mass of the emissions per distance. So. In most cases, we're measuring grams per mile, and uh, we we look at, as I mentioned before, all those those different things in the exhaust gas, hydrocarbons, NOx, CO. Those are all the, the things that we're evaluating. Wow, that's pretty wild. Isn't <laughs> that it? is. I did not know any road testing was involved. I wonder, is that just since Volkswagen? <laughs> no, actually, the OBD system, you know, verification of OBD functionality has been a part of the the um, process, part of the verification process, for as, pretty much as long as I can remember. Um, now, the thing to remember about OBD systems is they weren't really regulated until 1996. So OBD2 was, was really um, required for gasoline vehicles in 1996 and came a little bit later for diesels. I think uh, that it was uh, 1999 or 2000 before it was required on diesels. 
but um, you know, once once the OBD2 system was was a required element, that's when um, we had to go through that that level of demonstration. What we've seen more recently is that the more sophisticated the emission systems are on these vehicles, the longer it takes for all of those monitors to go through their process. So with EPS, with SCR, all of that makes makes the um, the process a little more complex. Makes sense. There's yeah. more computers. There's That's more right. things talking, right? I like it. Um, exactly. Is it is the process or testing standards? wildly different for gas versus diesel or is it just any vehicle on the road is not allowed to output more than this amount of emissions uh the, the processes are pretty much identical um there's there's one slight variation that that actually has to do with the weight class of the vehicle um, there's one test that's done a little bit differently with heavier vehicles but the test process is pretty much identical for both gasoline and diesel now one thing that used to be different is that the particulate mass or the soot was kind of strictly a diesel requirement, but they've actually added that to the gasoline um, testing uh, regimen more recently. And that's because we've seen more um, use of direct injection in gasoline engines and therefore we see more soot. And so that's become uh, another regulated feature of gasoline vehicles. But the test process is pretty much, pretty much identical. There is one aspect of gasoline that is a little more involved uh, than diesel, and that is that um, gasoline vehicles have requirements, in addition to being uh, having res- restrictions for what comes out of the tailpipe, they also have a standard for what um, it can evaporate from the vehicle. So basically, tailpipe emissions is what's coming out of the vehicle when it's running, and evaporative emissions is coming off of the vehicle when it's not running. So there's a whole different test setup for the, for gasoline in that regard. Diesel doesn't diesel fuel doesn't evaporate like gasoline does, so there's not a uh, a requirement for evaporative testing on diesel. Walk us through a little bit of that, because me and Paul just looked at each other like, what did you just say? I, what What does that mean <laughs> when it's not running in an evaporative, uh, I can't even say yeah. that word, um, evaporating the fuel uh, in, a, in a cold, not running situation? Yeah. So think about this. If you took a, a bucket of gasoline and you left it outdoors and you left it out for a couple of days and the sun comes up and it shines and it evaporates, that, that gasoline is start to evaporate after two days you're going to have less gasoline in that bucket than you did now where did that gasoline go it evaporated and it went into the atmosphere okay so because of that gasoline vehicles have systems on them that control where those fumes would go okay instead of evaporating into the atmosphere they get captured by you've probably heard of a charcoal canister right right the charcoal canister is is a component that captures those fumes and so the the requirements for those vehicles is that over a two-day or a three-day period they can't allow more than a given amount of fumes to escape from the vehicle so the so they're basically testing to ensure that they're staying within those requirements i'm gonna repeat this as Diesel trucks are definitively cleaner than gas, <laughs> period. Now, that would be more <laughs> of like an OEM standard, right? Like, there's really not many – that wouldn't be really a test in the aftermarket for performance-oriented purposes. Uh, or, I don't know. It sounds like a filter. If I was a gas guy coming from the diesel world, wouldn't I just yeah. cut it out? I mean, I see why they test it, so, because it sounds like something people would just cut out of their vehicle if they wanted to. Yeah, so evaporative emissions – Generally speaking, the charcoal canister is not something that, that people tend to modify. The one aspect where that does happen is with um, when, anytime you're putting a different fuel tank on the vehicle. Okay. So, for example, there's companies that make uh, you know larger fuel tanks, um, and they have to if they're doing it for gasoline, they have to go through this evaporative testing, which is an entirely different type of testing, which we don't really need to talk about. But, you literally just took um, my next question because that was <laughs> going to be the next thing, so it makes sense. <laughs> I mean, I have to describe it if you want. I mean, basically, what happens is they take a vehicle and they put it inside a sealed box for two days and measure what comes off of it. That's really what. It wow, was. that's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. So I'm thinking of SEMA Garage as being one big building with a bunch of garages inside a big building, essentially. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Our headquarters is in Diamond Bar, California. We've got uh, 14,000 square feet there where we uh, where we have our emissions lab. And we also offer other services to do uh, 
digital scanning of vehicles. We provide that digital data to our members so that they can uh, design products directly off of, uh, you know, CAD CAD files. Um, we offer uh, 3D printing services um, so that you can make your rapid prototypes. So there's there's a few other things that we do there. But we're 14,000 square feet there in Diamond Bar, and then we're now building uh, a second SEMA garage in the Detroit area. Oh wow! Uh, that one's about 45,000 square feet. Automotive mecca. We'll have a lot of the same features. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we'll have a lot of the same features there. We'll have an emissions lab, um, but we'll also be adding some um, some uh, capabilities for for evaluating the ADOS systems on vehicles. ADOS is all the the automated driving assistance systems. You know, the the lane keeping and yeah. the um, anything that that kind of automates the driving of the vehicle. You know, these are all things that are now impacting our industry pretty heavily. So. Um, we're going to be adding equipment there that'll that'll um, allow our members to evaluate their products um, related to the ADOS systems. That's crazy. That's so cool. That is really. I, neat. I mean, it's it's interesting too to see the expansion going on because Chris, uh, again, you and I, we have seen the expansion in the diesel performance right. world rapidly over the last eight years yep. or, or whatever. Um, so it, it would track that testing. Right. is going to rapidly follow because I the, remember... The industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right. I remember 10 years ago when like some of the big fines started getting doled out to diesel performance, there was a lot of people saying the sky is falling, it's all over. Yep. And then even just recently, a few years ago, there's been people who are like, racing's dead, the sky is falling, it's all over. But with compliance testing and with access to things like rapid product development... The tooling, and, R&D, and, just and, all the... Digital scans all the to be able to figure out what you need to at yep. home makes it i would imagine more accessible for smaller guys too yeah to where it's not just multi-billion dollar corporations who can afford a digital scan and develop a new yeah. product based around that um but having the access to to go to a third party and use this stuff where do you see the future going for SEMA? what does this look like five and ten years down the road or for SEMA garage more specifically? you know um yeah i get this question every once in a while and it, and it I think the fear is that, hey, if there's this push towards electric vehicles, what's going to happen to our industry? You know, is the internal combustion engine going to go away? I think the reality is the internal combustion engine is going to be around for a long time uh, in some form or another. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I have always seen, I, I can point you to articles that were written back in the 70s and 80s that said, oh, my gosh, all this new emission stuff, where is our industry going? Well, here we are decades later and we're still thriving. And the reason is because our industry innovates and adapts. And that's always been the case. And I think that always will be the case. Um, I also think that, you know, even with a push towards electric, there's, there's going to, it's not going to shut the, the lights off on internal combustion immediately. We're going to always have, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future, we're going to have some level of internal combustion that we'll still be working with. And um, so I, I think that, you know, what, what we're going to see is adaptation by our industry. We'll see some innovation and uh, and we'll continue to thrive through that innovation. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, Peter, was there anything that you would like to share with our listeners that we haven't had a chance to talk about already? You know, um, I think uh, I think we've covered the bases. You know, I'm I'm always um, interested to talk about this kind of stuff. I think that um, it is this kind of mysterious area, but certainly if, if people are interested in you know learning more about emissions and what what is actually involved and and you know how to comply and all that kind of stuff, that's what we're here for. So you know, you can certainly reach out to us at SEMA, and we'd be happy to uh, to answer those questions. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think we've covered a lot of that territory today. Oh, that's awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You guys are welcome. It's great to chat with you and I'm uh, looking forward to maybe doing this again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listeners stick around. We got more diesel performance podcasts coming at you right after a word from our sponsors. Treat, protect, and enhance the performance of your diesel fuel system year round with XDP's diesel power plus fuel additive. Specially formulated for all grades of diesel fuel, XDP's Diesel Power Plus gives you an all-in-one fuel additive that cleans and protects your fuel injection system while also providing you with a cetane and lubricity increase. Not only does Diesel Power Plus enhance the performance of your fuel system, 
It provides you with additional protection against the damaging effects of corrosion, water, and the formulation of algae and bacteria. This concentrated year-round formula is for use in all seasons and helps control icing and freeze-up during those cold winter months. With a standard dosage of 1 ounce per 32 gallons of fuel, one bottle can treat up to 500 gallons of diesel fuel. To find out more about XDP's Diesel Power Plus, check out xdp.com or find a local dealer near you. What is Worley Custom Fab's thermostat bypass valve and why is it an important upgrade for your 2017 to 2019 L5P Duramax? 2017 to 2019 L5P Duramax trucks feature a unique thermostat assembly for the Allison transmission which allows fluid to bypass the auxiliary cooler and use engine heat in the radiator coolant to reach ideal operating temps more quickly in cold weather. When the desired temperature is reached, the thermostat is supposed to open and allow fluid to flow forward into the auxiliary cooler which helps maintain transmission fluid temperatures at a safe level. Now the issue. This thermostat is prone to get stuck closed, so when the fluid gets hot and reaches the point that it needs to be cooled via the auxiliary cooler, the fluid is instead bypassed by the closed thermostat and returned to the transmission uncooled. Hotter fluid breaks down quicker, which leads to poor fluid performance and potentially premature damage and shortened transmission life. If you tow with your truck or live in a warm climate, this bypass plug is a must. Whether your truck is a daily driver, work truck, tow rig, or competition race truck, this is an issue that plagues all 17 to 19 L5Ps. When running one of WC Fab's shop trucks at the drag strip, they noticed temperatures reaching the unsafe zone. After some investigation, they found the auxiliary cooler up front was cool to the touch. The hot fluid was not making its way to the cooler. Upon further research, they found that even factory stock trucks were experiencing the same issue. With this discovery, the thermostat bypass plug was born. The CAD-designed, CNC-machined, anodized billet aluminum bypass plug requires a simple 15-minute installation. WC Fab has been building high-performance transmissions for the L5P platform for many years now and immediately started including this made-in-the-USA piece with every transmission that they build. Tested in-house on both their shop trucks and customer trucks, the Transmission Cooler Thermostat Bypass Plug for 2017 to 2019 L5P Duramax trucks can drop the fluid temperature from 15 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit by reducing fluid flow restriction to the trans cooler. The Exergy Performance Fuel System Saver works. If you have a CP4 equipped fuel pump, which is commonly found on the 2011 to 2016 LML Duramax, and also the uh, early 6.7 liter Ford Power Stroke engine, they're known for failure, period. Now, most of the time, if you put a lift pump on the truck, you'll prevent a lot of the potential failures. If you do regular maintenance, you can help help prevent the potential failures. But at the end of the day, there's still a risk that no matter what you do, that CP4 could fail. And when they fail, they have a track record for sending all of the metal shavings downstream. So you end up needing a whole new fuel system, new lines, new injectors, new tubes, new everything. That could be very expensive. Even if you're under warranty or you find a bundle package for a great price, there's still a lot of labor that goes into that, that job. The fuel system saver increases the amount of protection post CP4. So it's not gonna stop your CP4 from failing. What it's gonna do is that God forbid the CP4 gives up and it starts to send metal debris through the truck, it's gonna stop it before it hits the rest of your fuel system. And that's why they call it the fuel system saver. If you have a CP4 pump on your truck, you absolutely need to give DuramaxTuner.com a call today and get yourself a fuel system saver. Super Tech, Jeremy Garnett. How the hell are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Jeremy, we've had some really fun trucks to talk about here in the past. We've had some big builds. I know you're still working on that Hummer build that's coming along. Yeah, yeah. Um, I work on it every chance I get. Guys, if you're not already doing it, jump over to Instagram. Follow jgarnett00. Uh, you'll be able to see his, his work. He, he's posting 
parts of the project on his Instagram so you guys can jump on and check it out and see what it's all about and see what day in the life of a mechanic really is. All fun yeah. from what I yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, it's getting we're getting deep now. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. All right, but I know you brought a really good truck for us to talk about today. Hit me with it. What's the truck? Uh, this one's an 06 LBZ. Um, just a single rear wheel uh, crew cab uh, with a ABS type issue, trans downshift issue. ABS and trans issue. Yeah. Okay. My head immediately jumps to wiring or control module, like real common to have A40s crap out on these. Right. <laughs> you get a static discharge from that fan belt and it, it wipes them out. Uh, but that usually will throw you into limp mode. So tell me a little bit more about the symptoms. Uh, is he getting into limp mode? Is he what, What's he complaining about? So no limp mode. Um, no. So like what you said, usually with the A40 issues, yeah. uh, you won't see a prindle or anything like that. None of that. Uh, his issue was is coming to a stop. It goes 2-1 downshift back to 1-2 downshift as it's stopping so the truck two one downshift one two upshift yep and then the truck jumps so you're coming to a stop the truck's like it's just jerking forward do you know what vehicle used to do that the van do you remember the the, the, we had (laughs) we had that duramax van van. we had a duramax (laughs) van that the when we put the dsp file so we had to run a truck operating system on it uh, and when you did that, you could you could do switch on the fly, but every time you came to a stop, you would get to a full stop and it would stop, and then it would try to push through the brakes and jump yeah. forward. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like that? Yeah. Uh, similar, yep, yep. Man, that is not a fun feeling, did no, it? No, and it's erratic. It's erratic. It's not oh. every stop. So it's like you don't know when it's going to happen. That's a lot less fun. Right. At least with the van, you could like plan it and like, oh, I'm definitely not going to rear end the guy I've been tailgating for the last 20 minutes yeah, at the yes, stop sign. Yes. Right. Okay. Especially towing a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. That's, that's fucking scary, dude. Yeah. So he, he, do we been all over the board on this truck? I mean, so first thing looking at just data and data and data logging it just looking at our scan tools data Try, well when it's erratic you're trying to log it having a problem and if it doesn't have a problem in like right. a repeatable scenario exactly you end up just logging for fun yes uh well because you don't know when it's going to happen so i'm trying to data log it for fun so when it does happen right we have the info yeah so um doing that it's like i'm just driving this truck for two days with my scan tool in the center console i'm just driving and driving it'll do it okay finally hit pause hit record you know yeah and hit my you know screen save so i can actually watch what it's doing on my scan tool then um we get the back to the shop and i'm like okay let me go grab the es easy link or the v3 and yeah. try to data log that and i won't do it <laughs> so because oh. now i want to see more pids than what i can see on my snap-on scanner i want to see what i can see on the v3 so sure do that and then uh finally it, it does it okay put a turbine sensor in it so because it's the turbine what you see is the, the turbine sensor which is the number two sensor in the trans you see it jump from going to a stop it's supposed to go from like 600 rpm down slowly down to zero as the truck comes to zero okay so what this was doing is it was while the truck was acting up it would go to zero jump to 600 rpm back to zero oh so there's your two one shift okay yeah yeah so yeah. here we are okay cool let's put a sensor in this thing like we think we have a messed up sensor. Uh, after we checked the wiring from the East, or TCM all the way down, um, realized we didn't have a wiring issue, we put a sensor in it. Then we're like, okay, do this, drive the thing for three days, perfect, no issues. All right, done, done, send it. And guy picks up the truck, comes back, he goes, I still got an issue, guys. Oh no! Yeah, we're like, no way! Like we we've literally put three hundred miles on this truck. And, <laughs> like, there's there's just no way. Brings it back, and again we drive it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Truck starts acting up. No codes. No codes. So no. Okay, fuel system. Well, so we've again data logging. Yeah. So that's kind of why I wanted data. Go back to the data log. Right. Um, because we want to watch fuel, watch actual desire, watch what, yeah. see what the regulator is doing. Is that, what, that's what I was. That was like LBZ. Maybe the regulator's old and it's pushing open, so like you're uh, getting a bunch I, of fuel. And I went as far as thinking the, the converters bad, going bad. Oh sure, sure. Because you know LBZs do have you know bad converters, so you they, know the converter starts coming apart. They do usually, and not always, but usually you spot a bad converter, throwing it in reverse. Uh, reverse or uh, pushing through the brake too. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. wants to add a stop. It's like trying to push through the right. brake. 
Um, but it, this truck has a trans in it. Okay, it's not our trans, but it is a built trans. But it's a built trans. So it yeah. does have a converter in it. It does have a Garen converter. It's a little older, so... They but. don't. It's pretty. I, they could. Look, they can fail. You're a mechanic, right? So you got to check everything. Right, it's right, like right. trust but verify. But like, yeah, so it's pretty unlikely. And here, DJ, our you know trans builder, and I have been over and over and over this whole thing. Like, dude, it just it it cannot be an internal problem. It just, just right. It, it just can't. There's no burnt fluids. Right. There's nothing on the magnet. Exactly. You're like, I mean, Mer. there's there's no way. I mean, it can be internal. And it, and what about running like wide open throttle, working it hard? Uh, working the heart, uh, perfect. I mean, the truck just shifts and just smooth as could be. It, the only problem with it is coming down to a stop. So going, the shifts going up are absolutely perfect every single time. Who's, the shifts coming down. Whose tuning's on the truck? Uh, it is ours. Oh, it's our tuning. It is ours. Uh, so what we actually did is we, through this whole process, I did grab another TCM. I was went up to the guys up north and yep. you know, was like, hey, put a stock file on this thing for me. Just put a stock file on it. I was uh, fucking mechanics flashing it to stock. It's not the tune. I know it's not. It's the, not the tune. It's, it's always it's, the tune. Sometimes, it's, it's, <laughs> it's sometimes all, it's the tune. It's always the tune. No. Um, so um, I'm like, just put a stock file on this thing. We just, we, I want to see what it does with the stock file. And I want to see what it does with the tuned. Any okay? Any change? No change. No. And you can't get the problem to repeat. No. The so I'm I'm mister I'm mystified. <laughs> this is. What what is going on here? I, exactly. I mean, we're 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 seven days into this truck. Oh, I mean, and, this went from a gremlin to a nightmare real quick. Well, that's what I mean. It's like we're seven days into it, and so the other day it was like, man, you know what? The brakes on this truck are just shit. Like the brakes themselves are shit. Okay. Like you know the pedals like soft, and it's just an old truck with three hundred thousand miles on it. Like. So it's like eighty percent of customer trucks. The brakes are well, shit. exactly yeah. ninety percent okay. of the trucks we work on, right. here, you know, like, <laughs> just rusted out. Brand and, new turbo, and stock brakes. I'm like, you know, we just we need to put brand new brakes on this truck, and we just need to put some brakes on this truck. And uh, what it ended up coming down being is that the ABS was activating where you didn't feel it in the pedal, and the truck was sliding forward and then it didn't know what the trans was going to do oh because it's tracking it's tracking movement right through the abs oh but the turbine was but the turbine sensor didn't know what to do when the truck was sliding forward not the brake sliding coming to a stop holy shit yeah. and it wasn't like squealing nope. or any and there's oh my and God. all it was is that the rotors on it were just rusted over and the slides and the calipers weren't working properly so we just sort of I ended up doing a complete brake job to this thing. Got it, uh, like, stop on a dime, and there's no issues. And customer is, like, brand new yep. truck. Brand new truck. Never had an issue. And oh, it, my God. Yeah, and the thing is, is before that, like, any truck that we drive every single day, like, you would never think of a brake issue, just... Never think it's just like every other truck we drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all have just, they all have mediocre brakes at best. Exactly. <laughs> it's just it's every like, truck. This one here, just the truck did not like. It was they were so bad. Yep. Man. And it just, but it, it was so bad, but it wasn't so bad not to drive. Right, 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 right. So it's like one of those things that you just look, you just look over. Sure. Like why would you look at that? Yeah. I, None of what you <laughs> described had me thinking, up oh, brake job in its future. Right. <laughs> brake job is going to fix my trans issue. <laughs> like, who would have thought? <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, guys. So, listeners, if you're having transmission issues, what you're going to want to do – no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> that's awesome. What, what is our pro tip for our listeners I this just, week? Sometimes it's the easy stuff, man. Just don't – just try to – maintenance, keys, like brakes, just easy stuff. Just try to, you know – Look over everything and just, just don't take anything for granted, like brakes. You know, Do like, your maintenance first, yeah. and brakes fucking matter. Right. <laughs> and don't take anything for granted. I mean, I surely did, and yeah. look what happened. Yeah, seven <laughs> days later, look what happened. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing your time with our listeners. No problem. Have a good day. Guys, stick around. We got more Diesel Performance Podcast coming at you. All right, guys, uh, here we are bringing back the master of customer service, Sean Lynn. Sean, how the hell are you? Good. How about you, Paul? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Sean, we've been working on this knowledge-based segment of the show, uh, which is really just 
we we want to get into more troubleshooting and how tos and like practical usable knowledge for diesel owners. Uh, and you've been great at helping us out with that. But I don't know if I necessarily set you up with riveting content just reading off the knowledge base articles. So uh, last week we tried out with uh, Chris doing some troubleshooting for me. And I really, the whole time I heard Chris troubleshooting, I'm like, Chris, this is all correct, but we need a specialist. Like, that's what this show is, is, is we bring on specialists and experts to talk about their field. And Sean, you are an expert in calibrated power Duramax tuner customer service. Yeah, we uh, see a little bit of everything here and um, learning more every single day. There you go, man. Uh, today, guys, I am going to be a, a I'm going to pretend to be a customer here, uh, and I'm going to give Sean a couple of uh, questions that I think you get on a regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So let's start off. Uh, Sean, I own a 2017 Cummins. It is a 3500 HD dual rear wheel. I have the Laramie package, so it's really nice. Uh, I got about 40,000 miles on it. I just bought my Easy Link Tunes a week ago. I got the auto agent today. What do I do next? Um, the first thing you're going to do is uh, get it plugged into your truck, get the app downloaded on your phone, and Basically, all you have to do is link up the vehicle. When you sign in, create an account. It'll ask you if you want to link the vehicle. It'll give you a whole list of tunes, three different folders, all have the same power levels. We just change up the trans tuning a bit between the three folders. And that's typically the most common question we get is when someone gets the phone in their hand and they say, okay, I have three different folders. I got a bunch of tunes. What do I choose? Which one do I go with? What are the folders called? What 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 is this? We have a folder called uh, Standard Shift Schedule, uh, Mild TCM Tuning, and then Elevated Shifts. Okay. So the Standard Shift Schedule, does that still have trans tuning in it? It does. Okay. Okay. And what kind of things do you know are changed in that in the trans tunes in that file compared? Because the other one, the other folders still have trans tuning too, right? Mm-hmm. What's different? So between the three of them... Uh, mild trans tuning is the basically smallest change in shifting and such. Um, it only changes line pressure. So if you like the way the truck drives stock and you just want to keep it that way, little bump in line pressure, um, that's going to be the one you're going to want to go with. I like that. Now, a, one of the benefits of having a small bump in line pressure is increased clutch holding capacity. So my clutches aren't going to be stronger, but if I put more pressure on them, they're going to hold longer, right? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and then what is the third option? So the other option would be um, elevated shift points. And typically we recommend this if customers are lar- uh, running large tires or they just want the truck to stay in the gear a bit longer. They don't want it to lug as much. They want a more, bit more throttle response out of it. You know, and, and I really like this tune personally. Now, I've said many times on the show, guys, I have a habit of driving really aggressively from zero to 60 and then like an old grandma after that. Um, but that zero to 60 is really important to me. And I know when we first started messing around with this fourth and fifth gen Cummins, these 68s were notorious for short shifting. So in other words, I would go jump in the truck, put an engine tune on it, slam the smash that throttle pedal at the stop sign, and then I would click off one, two, three, four shifts by the time I was at 40 miles an hour. And that means that I'm not using all of the torque my truck is capable of producing. It's one of the huge benefits of a 6.7 Cummins is it has this really wide torque band. Uh, so elevating those shifts, that gives customers or, or end users the ability to kind of stretch out that gear and use the power in that gear for, for a little bit longer before jumping to the next one. Do you know of any of the drawbacks? Who would we recommend probably wouldn't run an elevated shift option? I would say that if you have stock tires and you just are looking for maximum efficiency out of it, then elevated shifts is probably not for you. But if you got larger tires or you drive it more like a hot rod than an actual truck, that's where elevated shifts would come in. That's awesome. Hey, Sean, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners. Uh, Guys, stick around. Uh, Chris and I are going to wrap up the show here right now. All right, Chris. Uh, I, I 
want to give a huge shout out to to Peter and also to everybody over at SEMA Garage that helped get him on the show. Right. Really appreciate you guys. There were some strings pulled for that one. <laughs> you know, I'm glad we were able to make that happen. Absolutely, we're excited. Uh, we kind of tried to put the put the screws on him, so we're so we know we can get him back on the show here then in the we, future. We, we might be going on a trip soon. I'm really hoping we can put that. <laughs> Fingers together. crossed. I'm so excited. Uh, we got a lot of other cool stuff going on here in the near future, guys. So make sure you have liked and subscribed uh, on Facebook, and of course, go join our Facebook group, Fans of Diesel Performance yeah. Podcast. There's some uh, traffic on there. There's guys commenting on there, asking questions. It's a great network for guys to, you know, get some information and. and and, you know, gain some knowledge. Um, there's not a lot of crap that's going on in there, which there's is not. nice. Yeah, yeah. We made some people are really want to early on that kind of said like, "Hey, if you're a new, if, if anybody asks a new guy question, even if it's been asked ten thousand times, answer his question. Don't write. Use the search bar. Right. Or you stupid newbie. So like, if if you're new to diesel and you just want to ask a question to some educated people, you can do that. They're not going to rag on you or anything like and that. And you go on there from time to time, Paul. Yeah, yeah once I get tagged. So. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I check I check the notifications. I make sure everybody's happy. I see right. if there's any podcast questions, and then I kind of try to let the community do what the community's going to do. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Hemke. Thanks for listening. Hit it. <laughs>